Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Hey, well, good morning. Hey, we're glad you could uh, join us today and be here with us as we are just worshiping, celebrating all that God is doing or that God has done in our lives. And I just want to kind of celebrate. Listen, church, we got a lot of different stuff going on. This past Wednesday on Valentine's Day, we had a great senior adult luncheon. And if you're a senior adult, if you're like, I'm not too sure if I'm a senior adult, you can ask Scott. He'll let you know if you fall into that category or not. But Rocky even showed up as Elvis. You want to see the pictures, Rocky? No, don't put them up. Okay. Yeah, but Rocky, I mean, we had a great program. A lot of you missed out on that. And listen, we have so many different opportunities for you to connect with the church, to connect biblically, but connect with one another as well. And many of you are missing out on those opportunities. And here's your invitation. Listen, sign up, be a part of what's going on. Right now, many of our youth are at Winter Chill. It's a weekend getaway that they're being poured into spiritually by our volunteers and staff. And then also on Valentine's Day evening, we had about 30 couples come out for a a date night, a marriage conference type thing. And boy, we had a blast. We found out all sorts of stuff about stuff. It'll come out in my sermons. Don't worry. A lot of you who who were up there on those uh, little games that we did, it's coming out in the sermons. Don't worry. But it was such a great time. But what really struck me is while we had about 30 couples there eating and laughing, playing games, we learned some things biblically. What struck me was the amount of volunteers who showed up to serve the food, to love on other people. And as I looked up and I watched these people take their Valentine's evening away from themselves or people they love and pour into other people, it just blew my mind. And I said, that's the church. Like, that's what it looks like, our church rallying around other people, serving them so they can grow closer together, so they can have fun and experience, you know, just life change that that Jesus brings. It was such a great time. We also have one more thing I want to mention. Well, two more things. On March 3rd, we have Parenting in a Tech World. Uh, we We need you to sign up for that if you have kids, if you have teenagers, or if you have grandkids. Uh, We're coming together as a staff, and we're going to tell you some things we've learned about technology, some choices we've made on how to or when to give our kids tech. Also want to warn you about some things that we know about. As you know, Lindy was a high school assistant high school principal so she's well aware of what goes on with that Scott was a middle school pastor for many years before he came here and well I was just a messed up kid so I know plenty of stuff (laughs) but listen we can help you understand some of the things that are going on because what I do know from experience and we don't want you to be one of these parents when you come to me and you say hey I found out this is what's going on what do I do now and unfortunately sometimes it's a little late Some things your kids have been exposed to, some things your kids have seen, could have all been prevented if you would have just took a little time and intentionality up front. And so that's not to scare you, it's just to tell you we've dealt with it, we deal with it, and we want to help you just know what's going on. We don't know everything, but we know some things, and we can at least help you in that. It's going to be right after church, food will be provided. And lastly, I want to promote what you see on the t-shirt, A Better Marriage Starts Here. It's it's our re-engage ministry. Our re-engage ministry starts on March 6th 
at 6.30 at night. And this is for couples who want to just go through and learn about the gospel and about how it impacts their marriages. It's for people who just want to reconnect, from people who just want to learn a little bit more, or for people whose marriage is just messed up. I mean, it, it doesn't matter where you are on the relationship status. This marriage ministry is for you, and, and the marriage is the, the felt need, the thing we know that you're dealing with, people are dealing with, and we believe Jesus can help you and guide you in that. So this is a couple-week journey. I think it's about 12 weeks, if I'm not mistaken, perhaps a little bit longer than that. But it starts at 6.30 on March 6th. We need you to sign up for that because we have limited space. We have a couple of uh, couples already signed up. And right after service, we're going to have people who've been through Reengage back here in the connection room in the hallway to answer your questions, to talk to you about it. But we also have a short little video to tell you a little bit more.
And so the cool thing about that is, as, you, as many of you know, those are real people in our church, right? This isn't a vault video. These are real people from our church who've went through the program, and they invite you to come participate with them. And so all of them had a, a great time, and I think Alan said it the best, if you're going to be married, you might as well be good at it, all right? You might as well be good at it. And again, it doesn't mean that your marriage is falling apart. It could mean you want to help people, your kids, your grandkids. It could mean you just want to learn more about Jesus and how it affects your relationship. So we encourage all of you, those of you who want, sign up. We got space for all of you. I'm making a big promise there, so just sign up. We'll figure it out. But we'll have the um, people in the back right after service to answer more of your questions, or you can sign up. Lastly on that, you don't have to be a member of our church. You don't even have to go to our church. So if your friends or people you know that are married and they go to a church down the road and they want to participate in this, it's okay. Like that's what it's for. We want to help people with marriages regardless of if they're Christians or our church members. It doesn't matter. They're invited to do this. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for how you're moving in this church and just what's going on. We see so much activity and so many, there's so many things to celebrate. But ultimately, Lord, we celebrate the life change that you bring. We know that you're working in our lives, you're working in our marriages, and you're helping us each day become more and more like Jesus. We thank you for that. And we just ask that the rest of this time we can focus on hearing your word and we can celebrate and praise you and worship. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Will you please stand?
So good morning. I'm glad and excited to be here with you as we continue our sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew. We're going verse by verse through this biography of the life of Jesus Christ. And remember, we talked about in the first week, and just a remind, reminder, remember one of the purposes of Matthew is the book is written as like a discipleship manual. He wrote this book to help Jesus followers learn how to live out his teachings and how to get on board with the mission that Jesus came to carry out. And we're currently working through the most famous section of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're actually probably looking at the most quoted section of all of Jesus' teachings. Because the last two weeks, remember, we've learned all about how to love God or what it looks like to worship God. And Jesus brought up two specific things that we tackled. He talked about how money can cause you to kind of turn away and serve something other than God. Like money is this thing, this mysterious thing that we got to watch out for because it wants to control our lives. And last week, we also learned that worrying, right? Worrying wants to control our lives. Worrying wants us to stop from living a life of faith and, and trusting in God. So these two things, money and worrying, will get in the way of what it looks like to love and worship God. And he tells us this at the end, Matthew 6.33, he said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And this isn't just a platitude. Jesus wasn't trying to sell bumper stickers. This is a promise. He's saying if you seek God above all else, if you seek to follow God above all else, he will, what's that word? Yeah, give. He'll supply. Like he's, he has enough. He has enough for everyone. He will give you what you need. And I'm reminded that this just isn't a personal thing, but this is also a church thing, a corporate thing, that as we as a church seek to live out Jesus's mission of helping people find and follow Jesus, he will give us what we need to accomplish his purpose. He's come through every time. He always follows through on his promises. So the first step that we looked at past weeks was this idea of seek him first, put him first. And now this week, he turns the corner and starts talking about how to treat each other. It's as if he's setting the stage for this idea of loving God and then loving other people. 
And when he shifts to this relationship centered of one another, how we treat each other, out of everything he could possibly bring up, he has these disciples, these people that who want to follow him are sitting around him, leaning in, listening. You have the crowds we know we're around leaning in, hearing Jesus's vision of what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. And if they're interested or not, trying to, you know, on the border, I don't really know what this looks like. So out of everything he could have brought up about the one another relationship, he chooses to bring this one thing up. It's as if this one thing should kind of be the hallmark of all things that guide our relationships with each other. Like this should be a big guiding principle if you were a Jesus follower. And if you're not a Jesus follower, you're going to say amen to what Jesus asks of his followers. Here's what he says, Matthew 7, 1. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Whether you grew up in church or not, you've probably heard this and you may not have even known it was Jesus who said this, but do not judge. Now, what we have to carefully understand is what Jesus is saying and what he isn't saying. Jesus is not saying that you cannot serve on a jury. He's not saying you can't be a judge like in a courtroom or something of that matter. We know he's also not saying you can't have any moral or discernment in life because all the teachings we've read this far dealt with morals and ethics and, and how to behave. What he is saying is that his followers are not to have a condemning, critical attitude towards other people. Like we should not live ready to find fault in others, ready to just jump and pounce on the mistakes, just watching for them. And I don't have time to work through it today, but can you go to the next slide? I did this series back in 2020 called Who's the Judge? And I worked through 45 minutes of explaining this is why Jesus is saying this. I show you all the background and all the work. So if you want to kind of go through that to get proof that what I'm saying is true, you can go back and listen to that sermon series. But, but what we know is that Jesus is saying, hey, don't be critical. Don't be condemning. And, and the reason he brings this up is perhaps more fascinating to me than the fact that he brings it up. Because when we bring together the life and the ministry of Jesus, this must come full force on how serious he took this idea of judgment. You see, the biggest opponents to Jesus in the Gospels when he lived were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the religious elite. Now, to their defense, and let's not be too critical of them, to their defense, they were trying to follow and honor God. They knew that in their past that God had punished the nation of Israel for disobeying him, disregarding his commandments, and chasing after other things. So they knew, like, look, God might take our nation away from us, and now they're sitting in this situation where Rome is oppressing them, and they're like, okay, we don't want to be oppressed anymore. When we look back at our history, we see that the reason this was caused was because we were disobedient. So the Pharisee says, I have a great idea. Let's become super faithful to God. Let's make sure we read our Bible. Let's, you know what? Let's memorize it. Let's make sure we go to church every day, not just Sundays and Wednesdays, like every day. Like, sure, make sure we give exactly 10% of our income. You know, Rome's oppressing us. 
They're hurting us. We don't like this. So if we follow the law to the T, then maybe God will bless us. So, so this is their mindset, trying to be so faithful to God. In fact, they were so faithful, they had not only all the rules and the 600 and some laws that they had to follow, they made rules for the rules. They're like, well, if I'm not supposed to cross this threshold, we don't even want to get close. So the new rule is you can't go this far. And so they had rules upon rules to next thing you know, people are like, man, who can accomplish this? Who can actually do this? And the interesting thing is they got so rigid and so focused trying to follow God that what didn't happen is what God was after. God was after life change. God was after heart change. God wanted his people to be like him and love like him. But rather than that, they became judgmental and critical and cast stones on everybody who didn't do what they did. And this is a theme throughout the ministry of Jesus. You should read Matthew 23. We'll get there eventually. I don't know how many years from now, but we'll get there eventually. Well, we'll look at that. But he calls the Pharisees hypocrites, blind guides. I think this verse kind of sums it up. Verse 24, he says, they crush people, that's the Pharisees, with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. And some of you say, hey, that sums up my church experience. I went to that church growing up. Or isn't that what all religious people do, that kind of stuff? But rather than helping people, they condemned them, they dismissed them. And in light of all the morality and all the ethics that Jesus is teaching, he clarifies, like, look, here's how you act, here's how you behave, but I don't want you to become like this. I don't want you to become overcritical, overjudgmental, always looking to condemn people. Like, that's not what we're after. And yet, if we'd be honest, that's what many Christians are known for today. Not at this church, but other places. And so while Jesus, of course, teaches morality and ethics, the goal was never to beat people over the head. The goal is to help them experience what a life following God looks like. Remember, he created this whole thing, folks. He gave us life. He gave us mission. He gave us purpose. He gave this to us not to be miserable, but to experience it with him and the joy that he brings to our lives. So he says this, verse one, going back, do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And here's what I know about you because it's true of me. We want grace and mercy when we mess up. When we screw up, we're like, look, can you just forgive me, forget it, and we'll just move on? Like, I know I did it. I, let's just not even talk about it. I, I said I'm sorry. What else do you want? Let's move on. Y'all never said that before? Yeah, all of you who are married absolutely have said that before. Like, let's just move on. We want grace and mercy when we mess up, but boy, when someone else messes up on us, judgment and wrath. We are Old Testament type of stuff. We just want to condemn. And Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way. The same measure that you give, how you treat others is, is how other people are going to treat you. In fact, it's how God's going to treat you. What you give is what you're going to get. This is like a big deal. And no matter how righteous you think you are, you do not want God to judge you on fairness. Our whole faith system, Christianity, is built on the unfairness of God. 
Jesus died so we could live. He was the perfect one who knew no sin, yet gave up his life so we could find life in him. Talk about completely and utterly unfairness. And how it's so unfair, but we still call it grace. That God gives us what we do not deserve and we cannot earn. And he extends his grace and love to us before we've done anything to deserve it. And so he says, what you extend, how you treat others, it's what's going to come back to you. See, we're able to extend grace and mercy. If you're a Jesus follower, you're able to do this. And you're able to be empathetic and show mercy because that's what's been shown to you. It's what Jesus has done in your life. You then express to other people. And the truth is, all of us have to come to a point that we have no idea what other people are going through, what other people have been through. We assume, like we look at them, we assume like, well, if I was them, I would never. I could never. C.S. Lewis helps with this. I love this quote. Look at this. He says this. He said, human beings judge one another by their external actions. God judges them by their moral choices. Whether a neurotic who... When a neurotic who has a pathological horror of cats forces himself to pick up a cat for some good reason, it is quite possible that in God's eyes he's shown more courage than a healthy man may have shown in winning the VC. And that's called the Victor Cross. It's a military medal. He continues. He says, when a man who has been perverted from his youth and taught that cruelty is the right thing, does dome tiny little kindness or refrains from some cruelty he might have committed and thereby perhaps risking being sneered at by his companions, he may, in God's eyes, be doing more than you and I would if we gave up a life itself for a friend. See, the truth is we don't know what other people are going through. We can't judge because we don't know who they are. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know how God designed them and what their struggles are. And so we have no business looking down upon people because we don't have a clue where they started. Lewis continues. He said, it is as well to put it the other way around. Some of us who seem quite nice people may in fact have made so little use of a good hereditary and good upbringing that we are really worse than those whom we guard as fiends. Can we be quite certain how we should have behaved if we had been saddled with the same psychological outfit and with the same psychological outfit and then with the bad upbringing and then with the power, say, of Himmler? He was the chief of the German secret police, um, the Nazis. Continue. He says, that is why Christians are told not to judge. We see only the results of a man's choices make out of his raw material, but God does not judge him on the raw material at all but on what he has done with it. And, and to me, that's so convicting because the question is, you really think you're better than other people, but have you really made best use of your IQ, of your family's name, of the wealth that was given to you? You, you, just, you just inherited it. Have you really made best use of that before you start looking down on the others who may not have the IQ, who may not have the name, who may not have any finances? He says, are you so sure in God's eyes you have used your gifts and talents and abilities to the best uses? You see, there's so many sins and temptations that, we all, that I don't understand that are other people's struggles. And, I, and I, sometimes I just go, hey, I don't get that. But what I do know, I get what sin and temptation is. Do you all understand what sin and temptation is? Yeah, and since I know I'm not perfect and I fall into sin and temptation, I guess I just understand that other people do. 
You see, we can't even meet God's standards. We can't even do the things we want to do. Nevertheless, put that on somebody else. You see, one of the things I love to pick on my wife about, and if you've heard me talk about marriage, I always talk about the toothpaste cat. I don't know if I talked about last, talked about the marriage thing. She can't put the toothpaste cat, cat back on. I do not know why. She just can't. And so this week, I brought it up at the marriage thing. I didn't call her out, but I, I, I didn't call her out. I was just like, oh, an example that I heard from someone else. It was my life, okay? And so this week, so on Thursday, I look at the toothpaste. Toothpaste has the cat back on it, sitting in my sink. I was like, man, that's all it took, 15 years. <laughs> 15 years. This morning, she wakes up. I'm at church already. I get a picture I haven't even brushed my teeth. I used the toothpaste, then put the cat back on, and she's calling me out, and I'm like, oh, there it is. What I've been fussing at her for all these years, guess who's guilty of the same thing? This guy. And I needed that. It was a dose of humility this morning. But that's the whole judgment thing. We don't even do the things that we complain that other people should do. We complain, we fuss and fight, and we're like, man, I can't believe it. And then we do the same thing. And I said, well, no one is righteous, babe. No one is righteous. No one gets it right all the time. I don't know what to tell you. Last quote, then we're done with Lewis quotes for the day. He says this. He says, most of the man's psychological makeup is probably due to his body. Whether his body dies, when his body dies, all that will fall off him and all the real central man, the thing that chose that made the best or worst out of this material will stand naked. He says, all sorts of nice things which we thought our own, but which were really due to good digestion. That needs to sit with us. Like you just had good digestion, that's why you were able to accomplish that. Like that's it, that, that, that was it. Nothing really good was going on, just that. This is big. He says, but what's really due to good digestion will fall off some of us. All sorts of nasty things which were due to complexities or bad health will fall off others. We shall then for the first time see everyone as he really was and there will be surprises. And I suspect he's right. I suspect, and this is what Jesus is teaching us, you don't know what other people are going through, what they've been through. You don't have a clue. So don't judge like that. Jesus continues, verse three. He says, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eyes when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eyes. He says, why are you judging what's going on in other people's lives and your life is a complete mess? Rather than taking the time to really work on your life and what God is doing in you, you're focused on being critical of other people. He's like, stop that. Get rid of that. Deal with you. Because remember, Jesus is after life change. That's the whole point. He wants you to help you get rid of that stuff in your life. He wants to help you become something new and something different. So then you can help others. But this word hypocrite right here is a rather interesting word. It means play actor, pretending to be something you're not. And as far as scripture goes, it's rather telling because Jesus is the only one who uses this word. Because he's the only one who can use the word because we're all hypocrites to some extent, all of us, all of us to be pretend things we're not. It's just the truth of the world. When people say the church is full of hypocrites, we're like, yep, come be one more added to us. We're good. Come on. Like none of us get this right. We just need to acknowledge that all of us fall short of this. We have a standard for others that we don't even keep ourselves. It's just true. 
But we don't have to stay in that. We should have a culture where we can share and divulge and tell people, like, man, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what I help with. Here's what I need struggle with. This is what I struggle with. We should have a church is full and Jesus followers full of people who are authentic and honest to be like, man, here's what's going on. I need some help. Can you pray with me? Will you hold me accountability so we can like expose our sin and have others have others walk along with us? I mean, that's messy, scary, and hard. Welcome to church. That's what it's about. Because once you've been impacted by the grace of God, once you see that you're fully dependent upon his grace for your salvation, you will be far more likely to show empathy. We should be the most empathetic people in this world. Meeting people where they are, knowing we could be in the same place they are, they were, if it wasn't for the grace of God, or if it wasn't for our moms, if it wasn't for our grandmas, if it wasn't for our dads or granddads, or Sunday school teacher, we could be in the exact same place if it wasn't for somebody else leading us and investing us and helping us. You see, the saying goes, God helps those who help themselves. That is not in the Bible, nor is that a Christian thing. The saying should be, only those who God has helped can help others. But God wants to do a good work in your life. And that's what Jesus is after, that all of us are getting involved in the lives of other people. Because notice, he says, hey, look, I want you to help your friend, not if you haven't dealt with your junk first. He says, get rid of the log in your own eye, then, then move towards the people. Like, do a good work in your life, then move towards helping other people. And he says in verse 6, He says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample on the pearls and then turn and attack you. This verse is rather confusing. He says, hey, don't have a critical spirit. Don't attack other people. But now he says, but you need to make judgment calls about how you spend your time and energy. His point here is this. Some people are going to value the gospel. Some people are going to value you helping them and encouraging them. Others are not going to value it. They're not interested in it. In the same way, if you give a pig a pearl, which were very valuable back then, if you give a pig a pearl, they're going to put it in their mouth, realize they can't eat it, spit it out, and step on it. It's going to be no value. It says in the same way, you don't need to sit there and beat people over the head with stuff they don't want to hear. We don't need to be so in attack mode and try to get the gospel across and like judge our grandkids or our kids and just keep beating them over the head with the, hey, listen, sometimes they just don't want to hear it. What do you need to do? Go okay. Pray for them. But we don't need this critical, judgmental, like even condemning them if they're not interested in the gospel. We don't hold people to standards they never signed up for. You've heard me say it before. We can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. We do this all the time, especially in politics. We expect other people to have our morals, ethics, but they don't. They're not interested in it. So we can't expect non-Christians to behave or act or think like Christians. But we can expect Christians to behave, act, and think. Like Christians, we can hold each other accountable in the church. And so he says you need this discernment. And we're like, well, Jesus, how do we do this? How do I not judge? Because it's easy to judge. We're all wired to judge. How do I be sympathetic? How do I be empathetic? How do I know when I, I just need to move on and kind of leave that person alone because they're not interested? Maybe they will be later. Like, like, how do I deal with this, Jesus? I mean, this is crazy, getting this involved in people's lives. He's like, oh, no problem. Here's what you do. He says, keep on asking, you will receive what you ask for. 
Keep on seeking and you will find it. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks and finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You see, I've always found these verses so odd and untrue. I did. I was like, Jesus, I, you got something wrong here. And I learned this in kindergarten. When I went to sleep on my red mat, y'all remember those mats you fold out and put on the floor? We used to take nap in kindergartens. I don't know if y'all did. We did. And now I, I heard this idea about prayer and getting what you want. I was like, Lord, I want another pack of shark bites. Here they are. Y'all remember these? Shark bites. <laughs> I wanted a bunch of great whites. That, that was the cool packs. We had a lot of great whites. I said, Lord, you give me what I want. I want another pack of shark bites when I wake up. I went to bed, took my nap, woke up, and there were no shark bites for me. And I said, well, I thought if I ask, you'd give it to me. But you see, Jesus has already taught on prayer in chapter six. He talked about all about him, right? He's holy, his kingdom, things he wants to do in this world. Like that's the primary purpose of prayer. So we, we come to this prayer in chapter seven. This is attached to this idea of loving other people, working in the lives of other people, and actually pulling this stuff off because I believe without a shadow of a doubt, if we're asking God for these things, if we're asking him what we need for mercy and love and sympathy, empathy, grace, peace, patience, joy, kindness, like these characteristics that we know he already wants to do in our lives. I believe if we seek him as he tells us to, that's what he's promising to come through on. That's what he's promising to give you in your life. That's what he's promising to do good works in your life if you ask. Because look at verse nine. He says, if your parents... You parents, if you ask for a loaf of bread, will you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give your good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give you good gifts to those who ask him? So God wants to do a work in your life. And when you're thinking about how to deal with other people, what this looks like, he says, seek God. Because out of your relationship with God is how you're going to be able to help other people. Out of your relationship with God, how he's going to change your life, how you can then treat other people the way he's asked us to treat them. Jesus is calling you and me to learn how to see people the way he sees them. Broken people in desperate need of a savior. And he wants us to be these kind of people who move towards those situations, that move towards these messes, not because we have all the answers, goodness gracious, but because we can just try to be there and pray with and help people on their journey of following Jesus. To sum it up, to bring it all together, he says this. I bet you've heard this. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. This is the golden rule, as we call it. This is what needs to guide and manage in our relationships with others. And what's interesting is Jesus is not the first person to say something like this from ancient texts. That text, or is he the last? But every other example we have in history, scholars tell us, is all in a negative form. Like, don't do to others what you don't want them to do, or if this hurts you, don't hurt them in this way. Jesus is the only one to say it like in this positive manner. They're like, we want you to go after people, we want you to invest in people, and, and we want you to actually like help other people. So whatever you want done to you, like go do it. It's not the avoidance of doing things he's after. It's the love and grace and mercy that he's after. 
He's commanding us to go and move towards people and what they're going, what they're going through. And so the difficult part of this, as you know, is he doesn't say, treat people how they treat you. Wouldn't that be easy? How many of us have said, well, they were mean to me, so... Or when that person cuts you off in traffic, right? What'd you do? Did you say a prayer for him? Or did you try? Mm-hmm, I know what you did. I've seen Rocky drive. I know what y'all did. He represents Conway in my mind. I think everybody drives like Rocky around here. I'm not any better. He knows that. But none of us want to be judged or criticized by superficial things. None of us want to be talked or gossiped about. None of us want people to be so judgmental and critical of us. We all want grace. He says, therefore, extend that to other people. And as you're moving towards people, do to them that you want done to you. And he says, this sums up the law and the prophets. He's going back to the problem with the Pharisees. He's going back to the religious elite, that it was all about the law. It was all about the rules. He's saying, look, the Old Testament was pointing to something changing, like you changing, the interactions with one another being different. So instead of being the hypocrites who stand back and just watch other people go through life and we just criticize and judge, he says, no, move towards them. Love on them, help them, extend my grace and mercy. Because folks, and you know this, grace changes everything. What God has done in our lives should change our lives. So we can be these type of people. It's not gonna be easy. But it's the standard, it's what he calls us to. And while we can't change every people's, everybody's opinions about Jesus, we can change the people that we come in contact with. We can change their opinion by how we act and what we do in our workplaces, at the ball fields, how we drive for some of us. We can change people's perspective just on how we interact with them. And it starts with us. It starts with you. And so rather than saying, and you can come up with your own, Rather than saying, I cannot believe that person didn't talk to me when I saw them. Be the person who goes and talks to them when you see them. Rather than saying, I cannot believe they had a frown and they weren't smiling today. Be the person who smiles and says hi to them. Rather than being the person who says, well, it wasn't welcoming, nobody was nice. Go be the nice person. All of those things you judge, go be it, Jesus says. Go do. He doesn't say don't do, right? Pay attention. Whatever you want, whatever you're expecting, he says go do to other people. Like it's your initiative, your action. Go love. And what if we took those judgmental thoughts, convictions, and all that stuff we're wired with, programmed with, that we just have in us? And what if instead of being condemning and judgmental, what if we use that to be like, hmm, something's weird here. Wait. This is God telling me to go get involved in that person's life. This is God telling me something's off and I'm going to choose to follow the spirit in this. And this is just his way of saying, go love on them. Go say hi to them. Go take them out to lunch. Go get involved with that. Because perhaps God's bringing that person to your mind so you can help them. So you can pray for them. Not to judge them. And as we work this, remember... Never assume, well, I would have never, because you don't know that. We don't know that. We can't judge people where they are because we haven't been where they are and we're not them, but we can extend God's grace, love, and mercy. Do we stand on truth? Absolutely. Do we stand on grace? Absolutely. They're not contradictory statements. 
They're what it looks like to be a person who's following Jesus. We're full of both, working through it. And it starts from our relationship with him. Because listen, there's no way you can possibly love or extend mercy and grace to others if you haven't experienced it yourself. It comes from knowing Jesus. It comes from loving him, following him, and learning about him. Because he's changed my life. Betty's changed many of yours. He's not done yet. There's always room for one more. Will you pray with me, Heavenly Father? We thank you so much for Jesus and what he's doing in our lives. We thank you so much for how he's working in our church. We're so thankful that we have a church that extends grace and mercy and love. We're so thankful to be surrounded by people who are willing to walk with us and carry our burdens and help us grow in our faith. Lord, help us be those people in our workplace, at the ball fields, or wherever else we find ourselves. Father, help us point people to you by how we are living. Father, help us get rid of our judgmental, condemning, critical spirits. Some of us, that's the burden we bear. That's the thing we learn. That's what we grew up with. That's what we think is just right. Lord, help us see it a different way. Help us see through the lens of grace and truth. Help us see through the lens of mercy and extending forgiveness. Father, we know you've done that in our lives. We know you're not done doing it in our lives. So help us share that with others. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Will you stand?